six foot six above sea level. I grab my mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Good afternoon and welcome to A Public Affair for Wednesday, July 6th, 2022. Filling in for Carousel Bear today, I'm Sholly Pittman. Carousel had some very important business to attend to and uh, so I'm filling in today for her. Uh, But if you've been listening to Carousel's show the past few weeks, if you're a dedicated listener, you know that we've been speaking with the candidates running to win the Democratic nomination for U.S. Senator, running to uh, square off with Republican Senator Ron Johnson. Uh, The primary is only about a month away, and it is a packed race. So today we have our final two candidates on the ballot for this office. At 1230, we'll be speaking with Stephen Olicara. But uh, first joining us on the line is another candidate, Koo Lee. Koo, are you there? I am here. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're running for U.S. Senate. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, first of all, uh, thank you for uh, having me on the show. This is uh, this is this uh, an honor for me. Uh, my name is Cooley. I am one of the seventh uh, U.S. Senate candidate for the state of Wisconsin, 2022. Um, you know, I a small background about me. I survived the secret war in in Southeast Asia thanks to my parents. Uh, I overcame uh, extreme poverty in a refugee camp uh, as a child in northern Thailand. Uh, and I grew up in a rough inner city uh, of Detroit, you know, sometimes dangerous or violent uh, in the ghetto Detroit. Uh, I face um, challenges, you know, adapting to the new culture, uh, you know, languages as a youth when I first arrived in 1987 in Detroit. Uh, but, you know, through all the adversity, uh, you know, I managed to, you know, went on to Michigan State University, graduate from there had a uh, very successful career as a corporate manager and also a business owner. And uh, what I tell uh, the Wisconsin public is that I'm not a politician. Uh, What I am is a very compassionate uh, individual who uh, uh, has a very strong compassion towards my community, uh, my people, and the American public. And that is why I'm running, because I fear that this uh, great uh, democracy, the greatest democracy the world has ever seen, uh, because of our uh, toxicity and our political environment, it's about to crumble, ripped apart. And uh, I want to uh, serve and I want to protect uh, our democracy, you know, through reforming our education system, uh, technology, and also seeking to make sure that we have sustainable energy uh, to protect our planet. So these are why I decided that uh, this is the right time for me to jump in and to want to seek positive and better change for our country and for our state. Thank you for that um, that very comprehensive answer. And um, that's an incredible story. Your, um, your website goes more into your um, history and your perspective. And I just want to touch on um, the kind of unique representation and the unique um, uh, story that you do have um, um, coming to America. Um, can you tell us a little more about that? Sure. You know, I, you know, I was born in 1977, and obviously the uh, secret war in Laos has ended in 1975. That's when we, the United States, along with the other countries, uh, signed a peace treaty in 1975. Uh, I was born two years after that, and uh, the continued uh, slaughter and persecution of my people, the ones that have sided with America during the Vietnam War, uh, we've still been prosecuted. We've still been put into concentration camp, especially, you know, for people, uh, you know, my dad and his friends, uh, that generation. And so we couldn't stay. And uh, my father had made the decision that we have to make our way uh, towards Thailand uh, and eventually across the river. But, you know, for my parents, you know, for my father, we're not, uh, he wasn't, uh, he was the last son and uh, obviously all my uncles are, are partake in the war as soldiers and so he has to stay behind uh, and uh, we're not nobility uh, my dad wasn't a military leaders uh, and so we didn't have access to fly across the river with airplane or you know get on the taxi or a bus to cross 
or yet, you know, you have people on boat waiting for you to get you across the river. Um, my dad led us on a 19-day journey through the dense mountain jungle at Laos. And remember, I was two, and, you know, these days I asked my parents, you know, how, how did a two-year-old survive in this kind of journey through the jungle, uh, the dense mountain jungle at Laos? I mean, kids cry, kids want to eat, kids want to play. And how, how, do, how did they manage to keep me quiet through all the, um, you know, through the entire journey? Because we are so afraid uh, to be discovered by the enemy that my parents, they only travel at night and then sleep during the days. And, you know, my mom was telling me the stories of how, you know, we, we eat practically anything in the jungle that we could find, put our hands on, you know, roots, uh, leaves, our shoots anything that we could put our hands on. And, um, and, and I said, mom, those, those are wonderful. You guys are, are so resourceful and, uh, you know, we, we got lucky, but how do you keep, you know, kids quiet? I mean, uh, we're, we're not the only family that's running. How do you keep a group of kids quiet? And he, here's the shocking part about this entire thing that is not on record. It's the idea that most parents, because they're so afraid to be discovered by the enemy while they're running in the jungle, uh, they will sedate their kids with uh, opium. And obviously, you know, you don't know what kind of dosage you offer your kids. And some parents will be running for hours on, and, you know, they will try to wake up their babies or their kids to feed them. And they realize that uh, because of the overage over, over of uh, opium, and you lost a kid. And I was one of those kids who got lucky uh, that um, somehow I wasn't, uh, it was just the right, you know, dosage. And so I, we made it to the river, and Dad had to, um, you know, Dad was the only swimmer. And, you know, he tied a rope, a single rope, secured with a single rope, from him to my mother, I was on her back. Then the rope goes to my grandmother, my aunt, and then my cousin and my dad. We don't have any floaties or any type of flotation device besides cheap plastic bags. And he jumped in the river and he pulled us across, you know, towards the distant lights across in Thailand where he said was the light of freedom. And, you know, that was the journey. But he didn't end there because we end up in a refugee camp in Thailand. And, um, you know, as a kid, you, you don't know that you live in poverty. You just know that you you need food, <laughs> you need clothing, you need shelter. And that's all I knew uh, in the mm-hmm. refugee camps. And I, I, I felt, even though we live in some of the most extreme poverty on earth, you know, I just felt lucky that we survived and we end up here in the United States. And so, you know, that's why I tell people all the time that everything that I have, you know, everything that I am, every freedom that I enjoy, I owe it to this great country, that it is my moral obligation to protect what we have here and to hand it down to, you know, my kids and future generation Americans. So that is why I am running. <laughs> that is an incredible story. And thank you for sharing um, sharing with us that it's, um, it's really tough. Um, but that has also, I think, uh, lent your campaign a little more of an international perspective, or at least um, a perspective of the U.S. position on the world stage. Um, so, so now that we know you uh, a little bit, we want to know a little bit about your positions. And a big position is that you don't mince words about the threat of China in the world um, or and the, the United States falling behind in uh, a lot of different areas. Can you um, talk to us about that? Absolutely. You know, I I truly felt that the position, a United States senator, you have to have some sort of understanding of the world. And uh, uh, you must have that in order to to be an effective United States senator. Not only that your responsibility is to your state and the republic here, but also at the world stage. Um, You know, my particular concern is that I we have multiple issues that's facing us with our education and our system. One, you know, we, we graduate students uh, uh, at the 12th grade level. And these uh, students, these 12th graders, uh, seniors who graduate from high school, they barely could read or write, understand math. Uh, 
And, and I think that is a concern. That is American problem. Uh, I know that we have been on a debate back and forth what we should do with schools. But I think, honestly, we have to take that into account and we can't keep uh, we have to provide options for kids, you know, because I grew up in Detroit and and I love I have many memories about Detroit and I love my teachers. I love my mentors, my coaches, uh, the love. Uh, it's never ended. But, you know, I wish that they have a little bit more resources to help them uh, to promote uh, education, to make sure that our kids have a better future when we are competing against the likes of China, Canada or beyond that we are at the forefront of, of technology because you, you need education to do that. Um, so right now we also have a, a, a major issue with shortages of teachers. And I don't think anyone really talks about it because, you know, we, we tend to kind of kick the can down the road and we tend to kind of focus on the issues that, that it's not uh, going to solve the, the, the education per se for our kids. And so that's why we have this kind of problem. And, and I think that we have to, and in some ways, uh, the teachers deserve better pay, better wage. They deserve uh, uh, more autonomy to teach our kids. Uh, and we have to create a system where we incentivize, you know, people to come into the teaching profession because right now we don't have that. And, and perhaps we, we need to create a national uh, teacher's uh, certification so that when you travel from state to state, you don't have to be recertified again. Um, so, I mean, if you look at like in other uh, areas like the, the dental industry, if you are a student that you're going to want to become a dentist, you graduate from, from dental school and you owe this amount of money, but the government actually going to forgive the loan if you invest uh, uh, in your career by working in a lower class or a, a very uh, challenged neighborhood uh, to help the needy people for one or two years, they will forgive your loan. And I think that we could do something similar to that nature to help uh, uh, revitalize, uh, to to inspire young people to want to become teachers. Mm -hmm. Now, outside of teaching, outside of educating our kids, because we must have that, the, the United States, I talked about the idea that we cannot let this technology revolution pass us by that we have to be able to corral. And I know that um, when I talk about quantum science, quantum physics, quantum computer, uh, there's a lot of people that don't understand that. So we kind of uh, talked about technology like the 5G, the 6G. But in my opinion, uh, we must be able to corral the next technological revolution, such as a quantum science, because that, in my, that to me, will allow a country like ours or the other side of the pond to actually, you know, grab hold of the supreme power of this planet. And I think that is very, very key because right now, uh, I believe we have the universities, the research laboratories, the best, actually, the best in the world that we could actually keep innovation, innovation research, and we could keep this in the United States to make sure that we don't lose uh, uh, this this privilege of this uh, supreme superpower of this planet to the likes of China, because I think our liberty and freedom will change if the Americans' position falters at this stage. Um, and also with the technology piece, I believe that because of our uh, institutions, our colleges and university, I, feel, I myself, I'm a graduate of a land-grant university uh, at Michigan State University. And without these uh, uh, research laboratories and these uh, uh, places, higher education, uh, there won't be any research necessary to produce, you know, food for us to invest in farming, to invest in agriculture or technology and those kind of things. And so I think everything's interconnected for us to make sure that liberty and freedom, a country that loves freedom and democracy remains the last great hope for mankind, because I think that America, we must be able to maintain that. Otherwise, I think our world will change. Liberty and freedom will change. Uh, so that is why I, you know, I, I, I say those things, and I think it's true. 
We're talking with Ku Lee. He's one of the candidates running to win the Democratic nomination for U.S. Senator this August. That's also the race where the Republican incumbent is Ron Johnson. Mr. Lee, uh, you mentioned education and kind of technological innovation as some of your top issues, and that tracks with what you've um, listed online. You list um, in areas of public policy that you're passionate about. You talk about education. Um, you talk about how the United States is failing to prepare our children for the challenges of the 21st century world. Um, you talk about technology and cybersecurity, uh, especially, and you talk about renewable energy. Um, are those your key issues? And, and can you give us just a little bit more about your, your key issues and your specific solutions for, for, if elected, what you would spend the next six years working on? Sure, absolutely. You know, education for one, uh, you know, it, it's education leads to a lot of things. You know, we talk about, uh, um, you know, the prison system. We're talking about people behind uh, uh, the prison system that, that you know, we, we don't have enough places to keep them. You know, why are we, you know, arresting more people and more people and putting them in the system? Uh, if you look at it carefully. Are you anti-incarceration? Um, I, I, I'm for education because I, I'll tie these two pieces together for you. Um, because what I believe is that we must invest in education because I think it's a it's a long term uh, uh, goal for for America and for society which can benefit us in the long run. Because if you look at it closely, uh, people that are inside the system, whether uh, they are the juvie system or they're over eighteen, statistically speaking, uh, ninety uh, I'm sorry, seventy to eighty percent of these individuals can't read or write. write. And I think that if we invest in education, that we tackle this issue, that we properly educate our kids uh, uh, in the ways that we should have, uh, uh, in the way that we are capable of as, as the supreme superpower of this, this, this planet. And I think if we create that environment where everyone is educated, everyone has access to education equally, no matter where you are, whether you're in the city, suburbs or in the in the rural area that we have access to education i think that people most people would choose to better themselves through education with education you have a better future you have a better future you could create an environment for your family then there is no need for crime that's that's what i believe in um and passionately that's what i want to do and i also want to help uh individuals that are uh, in some ways that are trapped in failing schools, I just provide them the option to go to another school that works. Because mm -hmm. right now, while we're waiting for politicians to debate on what to do, like the last 20 years, uh, we lost another generation of you know doctors and lawyers, entrepreneurs and business owners and engineers and scientists and so forth. And and I am very uh, uh, passionate about that. That we got to get that corrected. And also. The idea that, look, you know, education should be affordable and, and easily accessible to all people, especially the middle class, uh, the, the people that are struggling to make ends meet every single day, that we should make this particular area easy for their kids to go on to college, to stay in college, to graduate from college without being settled with a huge college debt. Uh, so those will be very I will be very passionate about that. And on the technology front, uh, to me, I think it takes all it takes is a someone that's passionate and know the technology or know the area or the industry uh, and to push this forward. And I think that's all we needed because we have the tools necessary to keep us as the world leader in technology. Uh, when it comes to renewable energy, I, you know, I think that we we can actually do something about this because i mean you drive around you see the gas prices i mean it's i mean i four dollars five dollars some places ten dollars a gallon and these corporations are profited in the billions and they are not actually using that profit to innovate or to invest in new innovations and research to actually help us maintain or sustain energy or to actually do you know trying to transition away from fossil fuel you know oil and coal so that we could actually save the planet uh i for one are in favor of a windfall tax uh to force corporations if they are not using that profit to invest 
for something that is better, something that's more sustainable, like wind, solar, uh, and water, then we're going to have to tax those money to make sure that we use the money for innovations. Uh, that's what I would do as a senator. Okay. And I would, I, I, would not, uh, I, I would not shy from that because I think the big corporations, what they do is they use the money uh, to pay corporate uh, CEOs so much money to the point where, you know, I joke with people all, all the time, these people would uh, die 10 times and come back to life and they still have money. And that's not fair. And so the average Americans, their wage have been stagnant since the 80s. But the CEOs has, has jumped 300 percent. And I think that's not fair to the American public. That's not fair to the working class. And, and I think that that's what we need to correct uh, as well. OK, we're talking with Ku Lee. Mr. Lee, uh, what is your position on the filibuster? You know, to me, when it comes down to personal, your personal freedom, uh, and your personal liberty, your right to privacy, uh, your right to choose, I will always come down on your side. And even if that means that we have to get rid of the filibuster. And I applaud the president for trying to do that now. But it's such a difficult path because you need 60 votes from the, the senators. And right now the Democrats cannot do that. And uh, the best way that they're trying to do and to correct a lot of these things is they try to curve out uh, the filibuster in some ways so that we could get some legislation to protect, you know, my mom, my sister, uh, you know, and my auntie. And I'm sure that all Americans feel the same way. So uh, to me, whatever makes sense, uh, that is going to get things done in Congress, even if it means get rid of the filibuster. I appreciate that you brought up the right to privacy, um, the the right to reproductive rights, I, I think is, is what you're signaling there, but other um, policies as well. Um, you know, I think abortion and gun control are two topics that are really on Wisconsinites' minds right now and two areas where folks are sharply, sharply divided. Um, first, briefly, can you tell us where you stand on gun control? You know... To me, I ask the question, whether or not Americans going to choose, we have a choice. And, and I tell people this on, my, on the campaign trail, that you hold the ultimate power. That is your vote. That is your voice. And you have to come out to vote, to vote the people that, that you feel strongly that's going to represent you, that's going to make the right decision. And I think that the toxicity of the political environment that we have right now, the kind of verbiage and rhetoric that we use, uh, I think that in some ways contributed to these kind of uh, violence that we see throughout uh, America. You know, for example, the Highland Park shooting uh, during J4 this, this past uh, few days here. Um, to me, I think we, we neither say we're going to be numb as Americans to all these things because we're going to preserve a freedom to own mass uh, destruction weapons, you know? And, and so, or you could say we have a choice that we're going to put the people in place that says, you know what? Uh, I, I do agree that you, you have every right to own whatever that you want to own, but I also have every right to enjoy my life as an American to walk the street, to be out and participating in parades, to watch and celebrate America's birthday. And to do all these things in public. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so what is you your know, choice on gun control? You know, I, I, I would love to have a stronger gun control. I would love to close some of the loopholes on the Internet. Uh, so that's where I stand. Okay. And I apologies for interrupting. We are running low on time. Um, I did want to ask you, how do you win in November? What makes you the candidate to defeat Ron Johnson um, in November? Priority is not Ron Johnson right now. He's the future long term. My priority is to win the primary. And I know that I'm fighting against big money. Uh, but if you listen to this podcast and you believe in the American public, you believe that we all should be fair, uh, and you believe in the small guy, the average American, we should put someone that has a good moral compass. I am that person for you. And I tell you right now, my campaign, we are 100% grassroots. 
And the wonderful thing about being 100% grassroots is that when I win, I have 110% autonomy to make decisions based on what Wisconsinites want. And if you compare me to the other candidates, they have lots of political experience, and they will say a lot of things about what they're going to do, but they all come from big money. And uh, so that's where I think America, we kept making the same mistakes. Uh, a wonderful, great uh, mind in, the, in, in Albert Einstein, he said, doing the, doing the same things and expecting a different result is insanity. So I, I'm asking for your support. Please come out, check out my website, Lee for Wisconsin. See, what, see if you like what I'm standing for. I'm, I'm hardworking. I love to serve and love to work. And I would love to be the next United States Senator from Wisconsin because I definitely think that uh, uh, we need someone that can and will listen to Wisconsinites and America to make the right decision for us, not big corporate money, not big corporate money or not any kind of lobbyists or interest groups. All right, Mr. Lee, thank you. Thank you for being on. I have one last question, and I want to sure. end these interviews on a positive note. I'm wondering if you could tell us about one hobby um, that you enjoy or just something that uh, can let listeners uh, l- listeners in behind the veil a little bit. What's what's one hobby? What do you do in your free time? I, I, I love history, and I love tradition. Uh, and one of the traditions that I love uh, the hobby that I actually love is, as a tradition is that I love to build uh, uh, bowls, uh, Native American bowls. And uh, uh, I love to do that during my uh, off time. And, you know, it's because it's, it's such an art and uh, process to build bowls. You can't just go outside and grab a tree and say, I'm going to put a rope on it and I can shoot with it. You, you really can't do that. And you have to learn uh, how to properly make a bowl, what type of bowl, what type of trees. Uh, that can make a certain type. So that's what I love to do, build uh, Native American bowls. Wow, Cooley, that is a very interesting hobby. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, thank you so much for joining us here on A Public Affair to talk about your campaign. Best of luck in August. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you. Thank you. It's 1234 and you're listening to A Public Affair. I'm your host, Shali Pittman. We're continuing our coverage of the race for the U.S. Senator race today. As a reminder, the primary election is coming up on August 9th. That's in just about a month, folks. Um, And uh, today's show is the last two candidates um, in this uh, U.S. Senate race. And we will tie all of these interviews up in a little bow on a page on our website at Word fm.org where you can see all the candidates and uh, compare contrast see who you want to vote for i also want to shout out the incredible work of the league of women voters here they have finished their usual candidate survey and those responses are available online to dane county voters on two websites vote411.org and lwvdanecounty.org There's a lot on the primary ballot, folks, so I hope you do vote. Um, Voters, if you've signed up to receive absentee ballots, those should be, uh, you should start getting those starting June 25th, and you can, of course, vote early. So uh, we just interviewed Koo Lee. He's one candidate for... um, running for U.S. Senate. And of course, we have another candidate on the line now. Uh, Stephen Olakara is on the line, and he is also running for uh, U.S. Senate in the primary. Uh, thank you, Mr. Olakara, for being on. Hi, Shali. It's great to see you. Thank you for having me. And hello to Wart FM listeners. I, as a student at UW-Madison, uh, was a regular listener and actually came on a couple of shows. So it's great to be back. That's excellent. We love the community radio connection. Um, so thanks for being here. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're running for U.S. Senate? Yes. Well, thanks again for having me. Uh, again, I'm Stephen Olikara running for the U.S. Senate from Brookfield, Wisconsin in Waukesha County. Uh, my politics really comes from three main places. One is being the son of Indian immigrants and having the experience of growing up in a place where not a lot of people looked like me or had a similar background. But I learned about what it means to be an outsider and having a politics and a government that represents people who've been left out is or to my mission. Uh, the second is being a musician and a former radio DJ. Uh, I played in bands of every genre you can imagine 
And that's where I learned about the power of helping people see their common humanity. And as a former radio DJ, in fact, I was a DJ at basically the Wart FM of Milwaukee. It's called WMSE 91.7. Sounds like you know about them. And, uh, you know, just the power of volunteerism uh, really stuck with me there. And the third is uh, being the CEO and uh, founder of the Millennial Action Project, which is grew to be the nation's largest organization of young elected legislators. So that gave me a front row seat on how legislation is made. We were directly involved in introducing 200 bills through Congress. 35 of those passed and were signed into law with bipartisan support on issues from gun violence prevention to veterans employment and taking on climate change. And so I bring the most federal legislative experience to the race and I'm running on the basic idea that we need real legislative change. And in order to get there, we need to change the system. I'm the only candidate running to change the system based on what I saw going on in Congress. And that starts with getting big money out of politics. So that's what I'm running on. Absolutely. And um, you you with that experience, you know, you talk about um, your mission, which is to restore dignity to politics, to make politics more honest and inclusive. I mean, what does that mean in practice? People in power usually don't give it up without a fight. So what does that mean? That's right. That's right. Absolutely. We are fighting for dignity. And that means, first of all, what we were just talking about here in, uh, I'm in Appleton right now, just at a small business forum on the need for healthcare security. That's a dignity issue for people from a human rights perspective, but it's also a dignity issue for people who are starting small businesses and who want to be entrepreneurs to even take that leap of faith, knowing that you may lose your healthcare at a larger employer. And my vision is to decouple healthcare from employment through a system of portable benefits. So healthcare, your retirement security, your long-term and short-term disability, travel with you anywhere you go. So you are truly free to do the most dignified work and the most fulfilling work that, that you can find. It also speaks to the broader issue of how we even measure economic success. I don't think just measuring GDP is sufficient. I think we need to measure dignity and fulfillment and the things that make you know life uh, worth living. And finally, in this, uh, uh, I think this is best to bring this up on this question. I'm proud to be endorsed by Andrew Yang, and we're excited to have the Yang gang getting involved in our campaign. Uh, and one of the issues that him and I bonded on was this issue of building dignity in our economy but also dignity in our politics, where we truly, in our political conversations, um, treat people with dignity and respect. And I think that's the key. That's really the political revolution to build a broader consensus and build the diverse coalitions we need uh, to pass legislation. There is a huge profit right now on demonizing people, dehumanizing people, spewing hate, And anytime there's a profit motive to do something, most people are going to do it. And that's why I'm running to change that system in our politics. So dignity is really at the center of how we do things in Congress. And I want to keep that theme for just a second. Um, I I think many would agree on both sides of the aisle that we want to restore dignity to our politics. Um, But there is money in sowing division. There's power in sowing division. Um, Some voters believe that the Democratic election of 2020 was stolen, right? So how do you speak to people across across the aisle um, to restore that dignity? Having those conversations is absolutely my calling in politics. And it's why when I founded Millennial Action Project, we founded it as a nonpartisan organization. So we're reaching out to Democrats, Republicans and and independents. And one reason we're able to pass so many bills, people ask often, how are you so legislatively productive? And it's because we did reach across uh, the aisle. Um, I like to share, I shared this at the Democratic Convention uh, last, or last, last weekend, that uh, I've passed more legislation from the outside of Congress than Ron Johnson has passed uh, in the inside. And it's because being a bridge builder turns, about, turns out to be the most practical way uh, to make change. And we brought that into our campaign. If you want to know how someone's going to lead in Congress, just look at their campaign. We have launched this dignity tour across Wisconsin where we go to communities who have been traditionally left out of politics. And those are red, blue and purple communities. And if you really want to understand the kind of coalition we're building and why it's such a revolution, if we are attracting what I called 
called the exhausted majority. Maybe some of your listeners feel like they're part of the exhausted majority. These are voters across the political spectrum who feel disaffected by mainstream and establishment politics, who feel politically homeless. And we're running on an agenda that brings them uh, together. And I truly believe that I've come away so hopeful from traveling to over doing over 150 events across Wisconsin and how people are so genuine about wanting to solve problems. And I think it's really the political establishment that distorts a lot of areas of consensus that we really have um, because the establishment and the DC consultants, like you mentioned, Charlie, make so much money on pitting us against each other when the reality is there's a lot more that that we agree on and we need leaders who are willing to summon uh as president lincoln said the better angels of our nature summon that spirit of generosity and compassion and if we do that we'll we'll make a, a big change in congress the issues that you are mentioning dignity in politics um and that your website fo- focuses on elections and term limits and money and government um those are the precursors to all the other policy areas um and so i i, I want to talk more about that right um and why that's what you're choosing to run on because that's a that can be a difficult sell and uh that can also be a, a difficult thing to to understand if you're a voter if you're not kind of looking looking straight on at it that's right you're exactly right you're exactly right and the reason why i lead with that agenda everything from uh ending legalized bribery to you know banning lobbyists from funding members of congress i'm proud to be the only candidate on either side of the aisle calling for term limits on members of congress i'm the only candidate either side of the aisle calling for open primaries and ranked choice voting in the general election I believe in these things because of my experience in the legislative process. It's very important for voters to know that I'm the only candidate in this race with federal legislative accomplishments. You know, I, I don't believe that the U.S. Senate is an entry level position. And it's evidence to me that these other candidates haven't really seen the legislative process in the way that they're omitting all these issues you just mentioned, Shelley. They're not talking about ending legalized bribery. They're not talking about ranked choice voting in open primaries. Um, and from my experience, we are able to convene and mobilize legislators to cut against the grain, transcend often their own partisan self-interest to pass legislation. But the reality is most people are not like that. Uh, we Incentives ultimately uh, do matter. You know, I am prepared to lose my job in the U.S. Senate to vote for what's right and do what's right. Uh, But again, you know, most people aren't like that uh, who serve in Congress. Uh, Most of them are focused on self-preservation and getting reelected every two years or every six years. And that's why these structural political reforms are essential to change the conversation and get better legislation. It also happens to be the agenda that unifies people in our state and I believe that exhausted majority coalition that's coming together um, will be uh, necessary to defeat Ron Johnson uh, in what's going to be a tough uh, electoral environment. So, frankly, I'd be speaking this message regardless of its electoral prospects, because it's just in my heart and what I believe. But I've chosen this moment to run for the U.S. Senate statewide because that is what's going to win, too. So you've pointed to your experience in the legislative process um, and the fact that you have uh, introduced 200 bills and ultimately about 35 uh, passed. Um, So because you have that experience, I'm looking forward to your answer on this. What is your position on the filibuster? Yes, yes. I mean, the filibuster has been used and wielded as, as a tool of just absolute obstruction. If you look at a line graph on the usage of the filibuster over the years, it's gone up exponentially. And so I believe uh, I would do two things. First of all, um, if there is a vote to eliminate the filibuster, uh, I will. But at the same time, uh, again, just You know, I I take things a step further because I actually want things to pass. I want to make real change. And uh, that's how, you know, I'm probably a different kind of candidate. Um, I will also push for reforms that can get 51 votes right now uh, because our communities 
who are in vulnerable positions right now, whether you're a small family farmer facing bankruptcy or you're a young uh, black entrepreneur in Milwaukee who's trying to get a business off the ground, uh, people cannot wait for change. And that's why I'll also perform, uh, propose reforms that uh, ensure there is a very high barrier to filibustering uh, that would require uh, 41 uh, senators on the floor of the Senate to uphold a filibuster. Uh, and it would be an actual physical filibuster as well. It, right now, it's essentially an email. Uh, an email, there's no pain or accountability to an email. Uh, we want senators to actually go to the floor of the Senate and show, make their case, show themselves to the American people. I believe that kind of proposal actually can get uh, 51 votes. I've already spoken with senators about this. And so that's what I'll also pursue uh, if we cannot eliminate the filibuster uh, altogether. And frankly, I look forward to seeing these 80-year-old senators, you know, crawl to the Senate floor and start speaking for, frankly, longer than half an hour. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, we will really reveal um, the, the, the gerontocracy that's at play in the U.S. Senate if we actually pass that reform. I would look forward that to that as well. Uh, we're talking with Stephen Olikara. He's one of the candidates running to win the Democratic nomination for a U.S. senator this August. You are, of course, listening to A Public Affair. And we have about 10 more minutes uh, left uh, to talk about your campaign. Let's talk about where you stand on some other issues. We understand that fundamental to your campaign is uh, restoring dignity and the, the logistics of uh elected government. But I do want to talk about some other issues. And uh, as I asked Mr. Lee earlier today, um, let's pick two that are on Wisconsinites' minds, guns and, ab and abortion, the right to reproductive rights. Um, tell us where you stand on those and what your solutions are if you if you have some. Absolutely. We'll start with guns. I'm the only candidate in this race who's been directly involved in passing gun violence prevention legislation. That should count for something in, in this U.S. Senate race. And uh, tell us about and that. Specifically what the, yeah, specifically what it was is after that horrific Parkland shooting, there was a sense in our country we have to do something about gun violence. And yet uh, the pundits said uh, you can't do anything about it. But those heroic Parkland students came to Washington. Our members hosted them and they said something very simple, which is, I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. Uh, we just want to fight to ensure that our friends in school don't have to worry about getting shot. And we convened Democrat, Republican members of Congress and said something very simple, which is that the Centers for Disease Control should be authorized and funded to study gun violence as a public health issue and finally, finally lift that ban that had been in place for over two decades. Well, because we did something that's probably common sense to many people who are tuning in right now, we built coalitions, got people on board, proposed this legislation. We got co-sponsors across the aisle, passed through both chambers of Congress and was signed into law. It was the first gun violence prevention bill to pass through Congress in over two decades. That is what real change looks like. And it's because that this model that we've built, been building for a new politics actually works. And that's what I want to build on uh, in the U.S. Senate. And it's not about, you know, finding the least common denominator or watering things down. It's an evolutionary process. I think jazz music for me is the best metaphor to describe this way of being open and listening and collaborating. So you move to a new space altogether. Um, and, and so on guns, there's a lot more we could do. I strongly believe in licensing of guns. And this is an issue we focused on at a common ground uh, town hall that we hosted where we had gun rights people, gun control advocates all coming together in a town hall just a few weeks ago after the uh, Uvalde shooting. And we found that there's so much nuance out there. There's so many opportunities um, for common ground. You know, I was talking to a gun rights guy who uh, had just purchased a firearm and said as he was leaving the gun store, he said, is that it? Is there no training? Any more support you can provide here? And so, yes, with gun licensing, what that means is that you go through a, a gun usage a training course. You pass a test demonstrating that you could use the firearm safely. You get a license. It's the same principle as driving a car and getting a driver's license applied to uh, guns. So that's uh, on guns. And then on, on abortion, I bet your listeners got these fundraising texts 
from members of Congress and candidates within hours of the Roe v. Wade be, uh, decision being overturned. And that, to me, just, I think, uh, reveals the real corruption there. So I'll fight to codify Roe v. Wade, protect a woman's right to choose, but also address the underlying corruption there to get this passed. Yes, and uh, I appreciate your uh harking back to jazz music as a metaphor uh, with your musician background and uh, yeah with with Roe and and Dobbs within minutes right Um, we received fundraising fundraising emails Um, so looking at the time uh, can you tell us um, to achieve you have so many ideas um, and so many real solutions um, that you are are listing that are specific Um, of course it takes other people to get those things passed. So uh, what allies, what colleagues would you work with the most if you were elected to Congress, um, you know, to, to restore dignity in politics? I love this question because uh, this is the difference between real change versus just, you know, talking about change or tweeting about change. You know, uh, you need allies in Congress. Part of the reason I chose to run right now is because we have now built a caucus called the Future Caucus in Congress of about 40 members who are under the age of 40. And these are members who I've worked with over the years and as Democrats and Republicans, we don't agree on all the issues, but it's a caucus that we can at least have the conversation and start building those coalitions. Uh, This is the group that helped pass those 35 bills that I was uh, pointing to uh, earlier. I'll be probably the first freshman member of the U.S. Senate Uh, with that kind of existing governing coalition. And there are members of Congress and former members who've endorsed our campaign who have highlighted that I would be coming into the U.S. Senate with more experience and more governing coalitions than most freshmen they've ever met. And so that's going to be really important. And I think specifically in the Senate, you can work with different members on different issues. Uh, So, you know, for example, I want to work on uh, entrepreneurship and innovation uh, with I'm going to highlight Republicans here because that's the the harder thing. Um, I'm going to work on that with, say, a a Marco Rubio, who I disagree with on a bunch of other issues. But on that one, uh, there's a lot of common ground on protecting our democracy with people like, you know, Mitt Romney, who I disagree with on a bunch of other issues. But, you know, we agree on, on this issue. See, that's the approach we need. If you approach conversations with dignity, you can actually draw out these unexpected and unlikely areas of uh, common ground. And that's what I'm going to do and how I'll lead in the Senate. Thank you for that answer. Um, So let's look at uh, the primary coming up is in August. Um, Let's suppose that you win in November um, or or that that the primary you win the primary and the the november election is coming up what makes you the candidate to defeat ron johnson in november three things the first thing is having the most federal legislative experience i've passed more bills through congress than ron johnson has and i think that is going to cut through to people Uh, the second thing is uh, uh attracting that exhausted majority that we've been talking about Ron johnson's hyper partisan tracking the kind of MAGA Trump wing of the party. But um, there are a lot of disaffected Republicans and independents who are looking for a new place to go. I was just talking with uh, the head of a business in Waukesha the other day, who is a two-time Ron Johnson voter. And now he's going to be voting for us. I think we're losing you a little bit. Oh, sorry. No, it's okay. Can you hear me now? Yep. Yeah. Those are, you know, I was talking with a Republican business leader in Waukesha who's voted for Ron Johnson twice and he's now going to be voting for our campaign. And so those are the voters we need to win in this election. And the final thing is being consistent, especially on issues like getting money out of politics. I'm not part of that uh, corporate political establishment who might talk a good game from time to time, but they won't achieve real change. I'm the one who's gonna challenge someone like Chuck Schumer and say, I'm gonna withhold my vote of you until you ban the legalized bribery uh, for committee assignments right now where you have to pay a price just to get on certain uh, committees. That's the difference between talking about change and real change. The difference between preserving the status quo versus having the courage to take on some of the biggest entrenched interests in our politics and actually deliver for people in Wisconsin. 
Stephen Olikara, I think we have a pretty good sense of you and your positions on the issues, which is good because we have just a couple minutes. Uh, I have one more question for you. And like I said, trying to end these uh, interviews on a positive note, there's a lot to change um, in our country, but trying to end on a positive note. Um, what is one hobby that you have that you want to share with listeners? What do you do in your free time? Well, I think the biggest thing has been and continues to be music. Uh, and I've gotten the band together uh, on the campaign trail, in fact. And uh, one of my favorite ways to connect with people is uh, through music. Uh, we've been in a lot of rural counties playing a lot of Johnny Cash, uh, Ring of Fire. Uh, but I've also played, um, I've come up with a folk cover of Nirvana's uh, Smells Like Teen Spirits, uh, which is on uh, YouTube right now. So you can all check that out. So if you want to elect a rock and roll senator, uh, this is your campaign, uh, because I think rock and roll is one of the great uh, vehicles for expressing yourself. And frankly, we need more authentic people uh, in politics as well. So playing music would probably be the big one there. A musical Congress. What instruments do you play? Uh, I play uh, the guitar, the drums, and I sing as well. Wow. That is pretty cool. Well, uh, we love our, our musicians. So um, thank you again, Stephen Olikara. Uh, thank you for joining us today. And uh, best of luck uh, running in August. Thanks for having me, Shally. And shout out to everyone at Wart FM. Love you all very much. Thank you very much. Stephen Olikara is one of the candidates running for the U.S. Senator race um, in the primary this August um, and then going on in November to uh, defeat uh, Ron Johnson, uh, it, as I said, in November. We are at the end of our show. I want to thank Ku Lee and Stephen Olikara for giving their time today. And uh, as a reminder to listeners, we're going to wrap these all up in a nice bow and we're going to put them online at WORT fm.org where you can see all the candidates for this office at once um, i want to also thank rochelle and Teresa. Teresa, who is leaving us soon next week no don't leave us um, and also for demorian sitting in uh, the folks who helped get this show on the airwaves uh, people vote 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 coming up uh, in august August 9th vote in that primary election. Uh, I've been your host, Sholly Pittman, filling in for Carousel Baird. This has been a public affair. Coming up next is Letters and Politics. You are listening to WORT 89.9 FM, Madison. Thanks for joining us. Live and direct, we come and never pre-recorded With information that would never be reported Disregard the mainstream, media distorted We come and listen and support it Don't take no prisoners if you can't afford to feed none Don't start no fights if you cannot predict the outcome Don't make donations where you cannot get your dough back the apathetic bullshit, the cinema, your Prozac. I will not climb into your telephone tree and hell no, you cannot put me on hold. It's the same recorded message you've been singing all along. Keep handing us the Bible while you're walking off with all the gold. The bureaucratic office sends you merry-go-rounding. While the KKK police the streets by bloodhounding. Interest on the credit card just keeps on compounding. But the FCC can never shut this pirate sound down. Live and direct, we come and never pre-recorded. With information that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream. Media distorted. We come and listen and supported. Live and direct, we come and never pre-recorded. With information.